urbanization, human-caused climate change, these are all things that drive the spread of invasive species, which have overarching implications, not just for human health, not just for uh, economies, but causing ecosystems to collapse. I'm Dr. Lamont Repolette, the president of Kane, New Jersey's Urban Research University. This is Urban Impact, a podcast where we examine the complex issues facing urban communities through meaningful conversations with scholars, community leaders, and others who are driving change. Recorded and produced on our campus in Union, New Jersey, this is Urban Impact. Here are your hosts, Michael Salvatore and Barbara George Johnson. I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation on the environment with our wonderful colleague, Dr. Brenna Levine. Well, I'm excited about this one. I read her bio and it's, it's awesome. So it's it's now my pleasure actually to formally welcome Brenna Levine to Urban Impact. Welcome. Uh, Dr. Levine is a biologist with extensive experience in many disciplines, specifically, and this is my favorite, invasive species. Oh my goodness, what is that? Uh, you're gonna learn today. <laughs> So, Dr. Levine, welcome to Urban Impact. Pleased to be here. I, too, is like invasive species. Oh, my God, what is that? If you want to learn about uh, more about the lantern flies, this invasive species, what is the impact on urban communities in particular? Yes, yeah, so um, the spotted lanternfly is an invasive species, as you both have mentioned. And an invasive species is a species that has been introduced to an area that it's not supposed to be and it usually ends up causing some type of negative effect. So with the spotted lanternfly in particular, in addition to it being a nuisance and you know covering your cars and the sidewalk, as I'm sure you've seen, it's also really detrimental to agriculture uh, in the United States. It's a big threat to vineyards, uh, fruit production, that kind of thing. What's the impact upon specific like cities and urban communities yeah. uh, in terms of how they're affected by yeah. invasive species? And uh, what are other examples of invasive species? We, we're familiar with, with this lanternfly, but what else can yeah, you... Yeah, so uh, there are tons of different types of invasive species. Actually, the majority of my work is on a very famous invasive species called the brown tree snake on the Pacific island of Guam. That's what I have done most of my research on. Um, other examples that you might be familiar with are kudzu vine, which you see in the forests of New Jersey. Um, there are a lot of... Uh, uh, fish examples for invasive species, um, the green crab at the Jersey Shore, that's an invasive species, a lot of different examples. And um, a big aspect of my research here at Kane is understanding the intersection of invasive species with urbanization and how urbanization and urban communities and particularly the connectivity of urban areas drives their spread across the landscape. So what does that look like in terms of research? I mean, mm -hmm. we are uh, this whole podcast is kind of a result of our, our designation as an urban research uh, university, uh, and I can see how passionate you are about this topic. So, what are what are some research questions that you're considering exploring in the future, or you want to point your your students toward? So, my current major research question that I'm working on with regards to the spotted lanternfly is the question of how does urbanization in particular affect evolutionary dynamics of invasive species range expansion? So what I mean by that is how does urbanization affect genetic connectivity among populations, gene flow, which you've probably heard of, dispersal, that kind of thing. Um, but not just that, how do urban environments drive adaptations in invasive species that might make them even harder to control? 
So urban environments have really uh, specific conditions that exert really strong selection on animals that live in those conditions. So for example, urban environments have much warmer temperatures than surrounding areas, like rural areas. Uh, Urban environments have higher levels of pollutants. They have different types of precipitation than you see in uh, even adjacent rural areas. So, I mean, to give you an example, a city can be 12 degrees hotter than an adjacent rural area right next to it. And so that exerts really strong uh, selection on uh, invasive species. If you combine that with the fact that you have mostly uh, a lot greater movement among individuals going from cities, human movement, I mean, you know, cities with greater human connectivity, that gives you tons of possibilities for having humans inadvertently carry those species to a new location. Right. And whenever they carry, you know, those species with them, they're carrying with them all of their genes and any adaptations that they've developed along the way. So to give you an example, a lot of my previous work uh, when I was a postdoc, we worked on bed bugs and understanding bed bug connectivity among different uh, urban areas, because bed bugs are an example of a species that is only moved by humans. They don't move on their own from, say, apartment building to apartment building. So let's stay on the uh, the issue of urban and the impact of invasive species in urban environments mm-hmm. in particular, right? Yeah. And as we go back to the spotted lanternfly, if the lanternfly attacks agriculture mm-hmm. uh, and our concern in urban communities is we have limited green spaces to begin with, yeah. and as we look at increasing our canopy, you know, we had conversations in the past about increasing canopy and tree um, you know, opportunities for more green and trees mm-hmm. in urban communities. How does that really impact in terms of your studying mm-hmm. the spotted lanternfly and the, and the impact on urban communities that are already limited in green spaces and so forth? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, if you have limited green space, you're going to find spotted lanternflies at really high densities in those limited green spaces, right? And so not only is that going to get in the way of enjoyment of those green spaces, but every time a spotted lanternfly feeds on a plant, you know, a tree, like say, you know, a black walnut or something like we have over at Liberty Hall, um, it has the potential to basically cause disease in that tree. And that particular disease is called sooty mold. So uh, spotted lanternflies secrete this kind of sticky substance called honeydew. A lot of insects do that, but it's really prime for mold growth, which can end up killing trees. Um, So yes, absolutely. You could end up uh, having negative impacts on the limited amount of green space that you have in urban environments due to the presence of this invasive species. And that's important to note as we talk about how we make this uh, realistic. You know, when people listen to the podcast and think, well, what does this mean to me? Right. So, so what? So there are, you know, a little aggravation, you know, you got to dust them off your car. But to really understand that in urban communities where there's limited green spaces, Mm -hmm. that a species like this that's invasive to those uh, spaces can really cause harm. Yeah. Right. And then really impact the the process of really trying to increase green spaces and increase trees in urban spaces. I want to ask you a little bit about student engagement. Mm -hmm. 
and how students are involved in the research that you do around spotted lantern flaws, but in mm-hmm. other research that you're involved with too at Kane. Yeah, so I have uh, several projects that I'm doing at Kane right now, all of which involve Kane students. So I've worked with several on the spotted lanternfly project. I had a team of students uh, in the past year doing sampling throughout New Jersey, uh, even sampling on their summer vacations if they were, say, in like Massachusetts or Virginia, uh, grabbing samples from all those areas to bring back to my lab where I then uh, with them extract DNA from those samples. That's how I address these questions is using DNA. Um, I have other projects going as well that are more uh, computer-based. Uh, it's called bioinformatics that I have a team of students working on that stuff as well right now. Um, and I kind of want to point to something kind of cool about the fact that invasive species are so prevalent in urban environments, which is that it gives us an opportunity for students to have engagement in these important scientific questions that might not otherwise be presented. So, you know, the great things about invasive species, as bad as they are for the environment, but the great thing about them for research is they're plentiful, they're easy to find, um, and something like the spotted lanternfly is completely harmless to handle, right? So, you know, I, I like to think of the spotted lanternfly as a really accessible, really easy introduction for students to ecology research, to field biology research, where they don't have to go out to a forest somewhere to see it. They can collect ecological environmental data from where they are. Um, I often get like crazy looks when I say the following, but I refer to the spotted lanternfly as a gateway bug, kind of like a gateway drug, (laughs) because I think it kind of gives you an accessible introduction to being able to work in the field that I work in, which is invasion ecology, without having to head somewhere like the Pacific Island of Guam to do it. You can do it in your backyard. You know, I'm, I have a partnership uh, planned with Kane Scholar Academy to in, involve all of their students in uh, collecting spotted lanternflies. And I mean, in that sense, those are high school students that are going to be able to get out there and get what should be really valuable experience um, that might push them in the direction of careers in STEM that they didn't know existed. I want to jump into something because you touched upon it, um, but you have a background in population genomics. Yeah. Uh, And I want to know the implications on these invasive species in terms of Mm -hmm. public health. Yeah. Ooh, (laughs) that's a really good question. It's broad, but... Yeah, so it kind of depends on the invasive species that you're working with. So um, for the spotted lanternfly itself, it's not really a concern for public health. It's not spreading disease, for example. If you look at some of the other invasive species I worked on, something like the brown tree snake in Guam, major public health concern that is technically a venomous species. Um, They go into people's houses. They eat people's dogs. You know, it it causes a lot of serious issues and not just not just issues public health wise, but even economically in in places like Guam, where, you know, the brown tree snake causes thousands and thousands of dollars in damage to infrastructure every year. Um, mostly by getting uh, tangled in power lines and causing transformers to blow out and that kind of thing. So uh, depending on the species you're talking about, you know, there are public health implications and there aren't. Um, You know, and I'm glad, Mike, that you brought up population genomics because that's how I address all of these questions. You know, I, I think when people hear invasive species, they think that my whole life is just out there, you know, grabbing them and (laughs) looking at them, right? But that's really not the crux of what I do. I collect those samples to get DNA 
from them. And I bring that DNA over to the, the new um, research wing, the Hennings Research Building. I extract that DNA. I sequence that DNA. And then um, using the sequenced genomic DNA, which is just big data, I can then answer tons of really interesting ecological and evolutionary questions, some of which have public health implications. It leads to the question about where uh, students go with this knowledge, the skill sets that they develop working with you. Uh, obviously, there are the fields of economics. There's obviously professions in public health. And so it'd be kind of uh, wonderful to hear about some of the opportunities yeah. that our students have, having had this experience, this real life sort of applied hands-on experience uh, at Kane doing this work? So I've had students uh, go in a lot of different directions with the research that they've done with me. So I've only been at Kane for a year, but two of my students, one went on to graduate school uh, in a STEM field. Uh, one went on to being a basically professional biologist for a uh, deep sea fishing company, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but I would say in all of my experience, the majority of my students have been non-ecology, non-environmental biology people. They're people that are interested uh, mostly in um, medical fields. And that's really, that's a lot of the students that we have over in the biology department, students that are majoring in, uh, you know, biohealth professions as a major. And so any skills that they're learning with me, lab skills where they're learning how to extract DNA, how to interpret data, how to analyze data, um, and additionally, a lot of uh, things that I teach them in regards to how to uh, write code to analyze things. These are completely transferable skills among any number of different fields. They don't have to stay in ecology as much as I want them to stay in ecology. <laughs> they don't have to stay in ecology. They can really take them anywhere. And but what would be the incentive to keep them in ecology since there are so few people that I think really understand the field? And obviously from the conversation that we've had with you today is a very important, yeah. critical to our understanding of uh, invasive species, how we mm -hmm. deal with uh, agriculture and, you know, the impact of that in yeah. urban spaces. So obviously, you know, we also need some really bright uh, students to say, I want to stay with ecology. Yeah. Uh, the reason that ecology is so important to me is that our relationship with the environment, whether or not we realize it, is what's going to allow our species to continue on the planet. <laughs> so if we don't study the natural environment, understand how we are affecting the environment, then how can we expect to leave a better planet for the next generation? And understanding invasive species is a big part of that. You know, a lot of our uh, activities, urbanization, um, anthropogenic climate change, human-caused climate change, these are all things that drive the spread of invasive species which have overarching implications, not just for human health, not just for uh, economies, but cascading through the entire structure and function of ecosystems around us, you know, causing ecosystems to collapse. And if the ecosystems around us collapse, not only do we use or lose all of the beauty around us, all of the outdoor space around us, but we also lose vital functions for our planet, like the ability for us to uh, sequester carbon out of the atmosphere, for example, the ability for us to produce enough oxygen, the ability for us to have clean streams, things that really affect us. So for me, uh, ecology is just kind of a, a bigger calling. 
So I really appreciate you sharing with us your experience here at Kane, uh, helping us to understand better the importance of ecology. I think so many of us take that for granted. And the fact that if we're not clear about how bugs and climate and, you know, carbon sequestration and all of that work together in an ecosystem, then we may very well be pacing ourselves out of existence, right? So thank you so much for engaging with us, Dr. Levine. We look forward to having you join us again as we continue conversations about the environment and the impact of uh, humans on our environment. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Urban Impact, a podcast produced by Kane, New Jersey's Urban Research University. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get podcasts. For more information, visit kane.edu forward slash urban dash impact.